You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, AFI Backwards Countdown Edition. Yay! Yay! I'm Nathan, this is Jake. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Jake. He's pastor. And we talk about movies on Sanity at the Movies, and we decided that in a di- we're doing so many things, Jake. All the things. In addition to doing our Disney Princess Countdown, which we're doing one of those a month, we need mm-hmm. to fill another slot. And we thought a lot of the times there'd be like a new movie out or something that was new to Netflix or something that maybe reflected the thing that we were watching or informed it. So we thought there would be lots of things like that. And I'm sure that there will. But some months there might not be a thing like that. Yep. And so in order to fill that gap, we thought we'd just go from 100 to 1 on the AFI's list of the greatest American movies ever made. Yep. And so that's what we're doing. And I don't know what edition of that list we're using. I think we're using the latest one. Okay. Maybe. Do you know? No, I didn't look. You just told me what movie was number 100 and I went with it. AFI 100 years, 100 movies list. I will tell you folks what list we are going with. We are going with the one that is listed as list in Wikipedia. Okay, we're going with the original list, I guess. Okay, How about that? the original list. The original list, yes. None of these updated lists for us. Nope, we're going with the one that came out originally, whenever that was. 1998, I guess. So we won't have any movies of the last 20 plus years. No, I guess not. I don't know. Maybe we'll end up reverting to the newer list. Or maybe, we, I mean, it's they probably only changed around like a few items so we could incorporate those. They had items. to fit Avatar in there. They had to get Avatar in there. Miss Congeniality. Um, 10 Things I Hate About 10 You. 10 Things I Hate About You. All the great American classics. Failure to Launch. My wife tried to make me watch Failure to Launch with Matthew McConaughey and Sarah wow. Jessica Parker the other day. Okay, then. We only made it about 10 minutes, and then she turned it off because she said it was too stupid. Mm, but You made her feel bad about it. Yeah. You made her feel bad about a movie that she enjoyed and wanted to enjoy with you. And I was on my phone and not paying attention and this? grumpy. I felt really bad. But the badness that I felt was mitigated by the fact that I wasn't watching Failure <laughs> to Launch. So <laughs> I was kind of in a bind. <laughs> I've sat in my wife and not been a loving husband. But on the other hand, I'm not watching Failure to Launch. So, you know, you was, give with one hand, you take with the other. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> anyway, folks, we are doing the 100th film. So the film that the AFI thought was maybe the least deserving of being on their list, but still better than thousands of other American movies and a film that I am very fond of personally, 1942's Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yep. Jake, what, yeah. what baggage did you bring to Yankee Doodle Dandy? Did you know about this movie? Had you seen this movie? I had not seen this movie. I didn't really know about it. I know the song, I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. You know? Right. So like, you know, I think you said it and I probably started singing it. Yeah, I think you did. You told me it was a Cagney film and I thought that's weird. And a musical and I th- uh, thought that's weird. I think of Cagney as... A tough guy. The, the gangster. The gangster of gangsters mm-hmm. in all the gangster movies. I don't think of him as the lead in a musical. Weird. Okay. So that's the baggage I brought to the movie itself. The rest of my baggage is just being a good old Midwestern American boy brought up on love of my country and On a scale of one to an eagle with a machine gun. <laughs> yes. How much do you, would you say you love America, Jake? <laughs> 
That's that's a bad question. Is that a bad question? It's a bad question. It depends on how you want to define love for America. Oh, well, why don't you define it for us? Well, G.K. Chesterton once said, my country right or wrong is like saying my mother drunk or sober. Mm-hmm. And our country has been uh, drunk out of her mind for <laughs> yes. a long time. So do I love the idea of America? Mm-hmm. Do I love... Freedom, the- democracy... Deep down in my bones. Apple pie, mother. Absolutely. Deep, deep, deep down in my bones. Do uh, I feel very patriotic at the present time? No. No, not very patriotic. We live in a, at the same time, we live in a country that- Abortion, the export- exactly. to the, the homegrown and exportation of pornography. I it's mean, America's job mm-hmm. to promote wickedness around the world. Mm-hmm. and It's gross. And it's disturbing and- scary and i am a christian before i'm an american and that's that so yeah it's hard to when you consider all of those things to have a whole lot of patriotism about you on the other hand freedom of speech is pretty good freedom of speech is pretty good wouldn't want to live anywhere else in the world yeah iphones are nice i mean phones are nice air conditioning is nice it you could take the poorest segment of the american population form them into a country and they would still be one of the richest nations on earth currently, much less when you consider historically what standards of living have been like. And so it's a pretty amazing, unreal place to live. I'm very grateful for it. I'm grateful to be here, even with everything else. Yeah. I mean, I live maybe three minutes from Walmart and something that occurs to me frequently is, wow, Xerxes of Persia and Louis the Fourteenth and, you know, King Henry the Eighth, they would have killed. They would have marshaled their armies. (laughs) In order to get to have access to the treasuries, yeah, the wonderland of, of everything that, that I you want, you find at Walmart. <laughs> it's true. It is true. It is true. So you have to be careful. I think you before send people to the on dangerous, perilous journeys to the Indies to come back with pepper. Right, Marco Polo. <laughs> if he walked into Walmart, <laughs> you'd be like, "What the heck? <laughs> yeah, what, what was I doing?" Marco Polo made it possible. Marco Polo did make it possible, as did, I'm sure, some of those other gentlemen that I mentioned one way or another. But, so thank you, Xerxes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Leo Leo, Leo the 14th. Uh, (sighs) The Pope? The Pope, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Was Leo the 14th the really famous one? I know Leo. Leo the 10th was the Medici that was Pope during Luther's time. Right, yeah. I knew there was a famous Leo in there. Well, listen, Jake, I love America. I bleed red, white, and blue. And you and Stone Huntington. Me and Stone Huntington. I, well, no, obviously I'm being silly. I agree with everything that you've said, both the good things and the bad things. But I, I do admit to my heart start starting to flutter just a bit <laughs> when I watch a silly <laughs> movie like this one that's all about a patriot's patriot. And I, I did not know how deep it ran mm-hmm. <laughs> i did not know how much that coal of the fires of patriotism that were stoked in right. my youth da, 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 still existed da, da, deep down da, da, in my soul da, 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 da. <laughs> so why don't uh, for someone who's because i bet a lot of our listeners probably don't even know what this movie is can yeah. you kind of maybe explain what they would be in for if they watch this movie, what the story is exactly. It's the story of George Michael Cohen, man born on the 4th of July and Mm -hmm. responsible for many of the 
songs that you think of as like the cheesy patriotic, you know, you're a grand old flag. Grand old flag would be probably the one that's had the yeah. longest shelf life. Over but there. Also, over there. Yankee Doodle Dandy. Also just a lot of other things in the American songbook that aren't specifically yeah. about America. But that very, that feel very. Give my sort regards of gives, to Broadway. Give sound to and shape to the the feeling of what is America, what makes America. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And he's a real guy that lived in the early 20th century. And in 1942, they made a, I never know whether the way I pronounce this word is the way that it should pre- be pronounced, biopic? Yes, it is biopic because I always pronounced it biopic and was convinced, and I think that it might have even been with you. Yeah, I know we've had you, this conversation on mic before. Me. I know that I was wrong. I always okay. want to say biopic. Yeah, I can never remember which one of us Biopic wrong. sounds gauche. And Biopic sounds like a medical procedure, though. It does, but you proved me wrong. And Okay, I did not set this up just so you could eat crow in front of the no, world. No, no, it's okay, you know. The only thing we're dining occasion. on today is eagle, my friend. That's Actually, right. That makes no, us no, sound no, like that's we're, terrible. we're the Russians or something. <laughs> today we dine on eagle. <laughs> no. Uh, turkey, maybe. Yeah, turkey. <laughs> the only thing we are dining on is apple pie. That's right. Pumpkin pie. <laughs> Pumpkin pie, mama and apple pie. Yeah, so this is a story of... And baseball. Yeah, and, and baseball. Yeah, we'll be dining on baseball today. Mm-mm. This is a story of George M. Cohen, and it's a very inspiring, patriotic story, at least the way they tell it in the movie. Yeah, it's you know self-made American boy who had a great family, but also had to be self-made. And it's a very generic, I mean, I, I don't he, know. He, it does play into the myth of genius. Yes. The idea that, you know, a person of special talent stumbles onto the right vibe, the right feel at mm-hmm. the right time. And is just like, he's got it all. He's got the magic touch. You know, he sits down and what is he, you know, he pins one or two of his songs like in a 30 minute strat, you know, in 30 minutes in order to impress somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's just like, he's just got the touch. He's, he's got the like, magic he's touch. on the wavelength. He is the living embodiment of the American spirit at that time. And he's just trying to bottle as much of it as he can. Yeah, I think somebody says something like, he's got the whole country stuffed down his trousers or something like that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something like that. <laughs> <laughs> People are always saying that about him in the movie. And the idea is that he's... He's not, he, he is the embodiment. He combines everything. Like he's a man of the people. There's a section where he writes a play. So he's a, we should say he's a Broadway songwriter. That's Yeah, he's a Broadway songwriter. And he grew up uh, traveling the country with, you know, the four uh, Coens. The four Coens, his dad's his dad, like little vaudeville. Mom, dad, and sister is a little, yeah, like a vaudeville act, mm-hmm. you know, leaning into their Irish heritage. At least this is how the movie presents. I don't re- really know anything that the movie didn't teach me about George Cohen. Right. But- how the movie presents it is, you know, traveling place to place, the whole country, east to west, north to south, every part of it, every city, every frontier place as it pops up, Cohen's hit it. Yeah, it's the world of kind of coming out of the old Western medicine men into the what we think of as kind of the New York vaudeville, Catskill Mountains kind of performers on trains showing up, a little bit of a huckster yeah. Oh, brother, where art thou? Kind of a vibe to it. Absolutely. But and uh, if you can sing, if you can dance, if you can juggle, if you have any kind of talent, you yeah, can. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that the Cohen brothers mm-hmm. make fun of in one of their uh, sketches in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yes, yes. The um, the saddest one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that one is really sad. <laughs> Let us never speak of this again. <laughs> yeah. um, Maybe the second saddest one. I think the 
the one with the, the the girl the one called the gal who got rattled is pretty darn sad that's pretty sad yeah. um yeah that's the saddest one yeah but yeah so the idea is that you know he's this super talented kid they hone their act here and there they have chances to make big breaks as a family but good old george through his pride and through uh, his pride and arrogance arrog- even as a young child ends up getting himself in the family blackballed mm-hmm. time and time again and so by the time he becomes an adult and really is is brimming with all these ideas, he's blackballed and he's got to f- figure out how to make it anyway. Right. Which, spoiler, he does through a combination of moxie and good old American C- can-do spirit and, yeah, <laughs> a lot of huckster, <laughs> clever <laughs> deceit of the type that we really enjoy watching Hollywood people do in Hollywood movies. Yeah. Uh, and I looked up the story of George M. Cohen and it's not dissimilar to the way the movie the family so i think there's like a birth certificate that says he was born on july 3rd apparently the cohen's always did say that he was born on july 4th so it's kind of like that he was enough of a self-mythologizer as a dude that it's really hard to actually tell what the difference where the legend ends Mm -hmm. where where the truth ends and the legend continues and that's so i mean that's true of a lot of i mean anybody that wants to play into that idea of either being the quintessential self-made American mm-hmm. or or the the genius has to engage in a, a lot of self-mythologizing. Mm-hmm. And he's gotta always be selling the myth of, you know, his origin and his, you know, his reality into the world. Right. And this was a particularly this was the golden age. I think in the movie they say they even say this was the age of Horatio Alger. Or whatever. Do, yeah. And Horatio Alger, if, if anybody doesn't know, was the guy that wrote all these cheesy stories in the late 1800s about young American men making their fortune and mm-hmm. coming from, you know, rags to riches. I think it's Horatio a, Al- Alger yeah. invented rags to riches yeah. as a genre. Rags to riches, the Horatio Alger story. Right. That's the that's, thing. That's the thing. And yeah. George M. Cohen's story. It's a regular Horatio Alger story. Right. <laughs> that kind of optimism, that kind of American can-do spirit. That's certainly, but I couldn't find a and, lot of things that the movie and Broadway and Hollywood were packaging and selling that like crazy. And you know, you think of any like, just pick a musical, pick "Singing in the Rain." Mm-hmm. Like, was that whole big weird bizarre sequence in the middle? Gotta dance, you know. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's gonna go and knock on every door, and he packed his bags from the Midwest. He's mm-hmm. going to New York because if he can make it there, he can make it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Just like Frankie sang, and you know, gotta dance, and then finally. He makes it big because, of course, he does because that's what you do. That's what you do. If you've got the, I keep saying the word moxie, which I'll probably never use outside of this exact conversation. <laughs> but if, but you if, got, you moxie, if you have the moxie, if you got the moxie kid, if you got the can do spirit, it's a whole world of opportunities out there. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Well, come and, on, come on, buy the book Brooklyn Bridge. Why don't you, you know, only a dollar? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I like about these kinds of stories, I actually like it when biopics in particular take the form of and it's hard for them to kind of avoid this but when they take the form of whatever the story or mythology that the person perpetuates perpetuated you know like if you're gonna tell the johnny cash story then you might as well make it into this southern country fried the man in black man in black emerges from the dust bowl kind of story if whether that's true the story or not of steve jobs you might as well same thing it's and and so George M. Cohen, who was called the man who owned Broadway, he invented a lot of these tropes and these cliches, these, you know, rags to riches, feel good type stories, all American stories. And so 
let's just make his story into that. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy this movie, Jake? Yeah, I loved it. I had yeah. a lot of fun with it. I was really, really impressed by Cagney. Oh, he's great. Had you seen him in anything before? I don't think so. If I have, I don't. I don't have the memory of it. I just was really impressed by everything about him. The, what, if people haven't seen Cagney, I think the best handle maybe to think of him, although even this is getting to be an old reference these days, but Jack Nicholson, I think, is the modern Cagney. That level of energy, that level of just devilish likability, that level of... He's got some real verve and just... He works like he shines. He He's always inventing these little pieces of business. There's a play, There's a scene where they basically trick a producer into putting on their plays and at the end of it Cagney just leans over and kisses him on the hat yeah and there are always these little touches there's just like feels I just felt like I was watching an inspired performance I mm-hmm. I did not think of him as a singer or a dancer no and he dances out of this world mm-hmm. like they weren't they weren't pulling their punches they weren't like doing camera tricks like no Ryan Gosling in La La Land none of that he, stuff no he just he can dance mm-hmm. like he can sing. He does a lot of sing-speak stuff, but he sells it really well. And the thing that I didn't know and learned in, in looking up some stuff about this is Cohen's style was apparently, apparently he's doing Cohen's Cohen. style. So of, it's possible know. even that Cagney, I mean, I think Cagney did, he wasn't a great singer, but I think he's leaning into the speak-sing thing because that's Cohen. And I listened to a little Cohen and it is Very that. much that It way, is very yeah. much that. So even the places where it seems like he's just furiously acting his way through the performance song. aspects, it's yeah. actually the same thing that George M. Cohen did. So, And yeah. that weird, stiff-legged, amazing dance style is, I guess, pretty similar to Cohen's style. I just thought it was a very different kind of performance mm-hmm. than I had seen, but it was it, it was legit in its own right. And I just, I, I loved him. I loved him in that movie. It's a lot of fun. He's great. He's, he's a really fun just dynamic performer. I can think of few performers who are more dynamic than him. He is just a ball of tightly wound energy. I should say Jack Nicholson is, he's similar, but he's much more laconic. Jack Nicholson is, he's much more laid back. Imagine Jack Nicholson like on Coke or something like that. Right. Well, what I was wanting to compare him to, Streetcar Named Desire. Oh, Brando? Yeah, thank you. I, I, I was wanting to compare him to Marlon Brando, but without, being so sexual mm-hmm. and more talented. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to, I think it was just like that, the the sense of energy and verve. Yeah, just the, the life force, the potency yeah. inside this. There this. was a real potency there that I think few actors, uh, Gene Kelly maybe, but, but both Gene Kelly and Marlon Brando have this sort of sexual, animalistic almost vibe going mm-hmm. on. And he, he doesn't, but yeah. he, he does have real... Well, I think he did for the time. Like, I'm sure. It's probably, some of it's just the era that he's not. He had to play more subdued than. His famous thing in, um, so he made his name in a movie called The Public Enemy, which was one of the first gangster talkies. The very first gangster talkie, which Warner Brothers built their their studio on, was called Little Caesar, and that features Edward G. Robinson, who talked like this, see? And he's like, who we think of when we think of gangsters. But actually, the, the really popular gangster performer was Cagney. And in The Public Enemy, he made his career through a scene, if I'm remembering rightly, where this dumb blonde bimbo is being insulting to him. And he just like jumps out of his chair, grabs a grapefruit, smashes it in her face, and then grabs grabs her by the hair and drags her out of the... (laughs) (laughs) 
Like Cagney, just everybody loved that and made his career. And then he was at he, he was typecast. He was typecast. Yeah, but he's the kind of guy that's so innately likable that you just love to root for him as a gangster. And then, of course, he has to die in you know the ninth reel. But yeah. until then, you just want to see him machine gun down his enemies and <laughs> get all the girls. And it's wish fulfillment. Isn't he like, like if you've not watched a bunch of like old gangster, you know, noir type movies, isn't he like the kind of thing that like the angels with filthy souls and Home Alone stuff is made to? Oh, absolutely. That's just Cagney. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's exactly that's they they made they. I don't know why they didn't just license some Cagney films. A Cagney film. I mean, they but wanted yeah. they wanted the right dialogue for their thing yeah. but yeah that's that guy's yeah, just doing just doing know. a cagney film right? yeah that's what i thought yeah yeah yeah. and it probably his best gangster movie is called white heat and in that one he's the psychopathic gangster who really loves his mother and it ends with him on top of like a giant propane tank that's blowing up and he's screaming and it's one of those things that's so iconic i maybe actually be remembering it as more exciting than it actually was <laughs> but what i want to say is he's firing his machine gun into the air and saying made it ma i'm on top of the world ma <laughs> as the thing explodes around him so. <laughs> he's just a really cool vibrant performer and had a lot of fights with the studio you know was kind of this larger than life guy that didn't necessarily like playing gangsters i think came up doing some of the dancing and having a broader array of skills that he had honed on but people really liked him as a street tough talking fast talking kind of a guy but i think he really embraced the chance to do something a little different in this one as a, and i think this is his best movie this is what he's really actually remembered for or this is i guess people remember him as a gangster performer but if they've seen anything they've probably seen yankee doodle dandy because such a fun movie I guess the only other thing that's kind of interesting to know about the movie is that Cagney actually didn't like George M. Cohen. I guess George M. Cohen had cited like the man or his music or what he didn't like. He didn't like what the man stood for because at some point George M. Cohen cited against the actors and some kind of an actor's strike cited with the producers, as you can imagine he would because he was a yeah. producer primarily, although he did act in his stuff as portrayed in the movie. But so Cagney never liked that. But then Cagney was named by this guy named John L. Leach, who was the chief functionary of the Los Angeles Communist Party. He, he named Cagney to the House on American Activities Committee in 1940. They were like front page news, giant headlines, Cagney associated with communism, all this stuff. Yeah. And so Cagney felt really bad about that, felt backed into a corner by that, managed to clear his name. But then he just said, I want to do the most American, American patriotic. patriotic. <laughs> <laughs> There's some quote by Cagney's brother, who was actually his producer, who said something like, we're going to give him them the, the most damnedest patrioticest movie that you can think of. So it's right up there. Yeah. This movie's really <laughs> laying it on for all kinds of reasons. <laughs> I guess the other thing to remember is this movie was made in 42, which two, two interesting things about that. Number one, World War II is... Yeah. Going full steam. So this is very much a piece of propaganda, pro-American yep. propaganda. That's one of Over the, there, baby. One of the conscious reasons the movie was made. Number two, 1942 is just considered one of the great years of cinema. The Hollywood machine was chugging along and Casablanca comes from that year. This is by the same director and a couple of the same writers as Casablanca. Hmm. So they actually made those two movies within the same space of time. 
and they're completely different movies, but you can feel a lot of the same energy, a lot of the same wit, a lot of the same just yep. colorful, awesome, everything that was good about the high polished to a nice gloss Hollywood system of writing and producing and directing is on display in this movie, Yankee Doodle Dandy, which we will talk through now. So yeah, we get, to, we got the credits They're They're in American flag type font. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's amazing. And then we have quite possibly the dumbest wraparound story <laughs> for, for, any, for any biopic. <laughs> <laughs> well, the president wants to see you. Oh, dear. Oh, no. What oh, do I no. do? <laughs> now we have the movie announcer. Yeah. <laughs> talking over... Somebody who vaguely looks like FDR. Right. <laughs> from behind. Okay. <laughs> uh, old man George M. Cohen, as played by Cagney in okay old man makeup. Although he wears. He takes it off because he was. Yeah, that's right. He's, yeah. So because it actually is kind of weird and convoluted. It starts with him playing the character of FDR in a right. play. That's right. And then he takes off the FDR makeup. Yeah. And then he's called by the real FDR who's played yeah. by the back of some actor yeah. and <laughs> he, he goes to see him <laughs> uh, runs into the old black gentleman the butler at the White House who who worked his special shift just to be able to meet him just to be able to meet him and uh, and then you're right the president I didn't ma- bother looking up the real FDR's voice I I know I've heard it before. I've yeah, heard fireside, fireside chats, chats and, and stuff, stuff but like that. I don't think he sounded quite as much like a <laughs> like a movie announcer. <laughs> it sounds very much like a movie announcer. Welcome to the White House, Mr. Cohen. It's <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the flashback structure for biopics is pretty ubiquitous. It'll be like Johnny Cash is about to go on stage to collect an award or something and he's gonna now we're gonna flash back to the time he won his first award right exactly there's always something like that but he was eight years old and it was the (laughs) local talent show right and then his brother died (laughs) 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 but this has got to be the worst (laughs) because then in (laughs) george m cohen proceeds to waste the president's time (laughs) he's just sitting there telling him his whole life story story. so conceited (laughs) Oh man! But then we get and all. He these... has to do these things, like, well, I guess you didn't really want to hear that. Oh yes, I find it very it interesting. Is... Please tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> but then it starts. It has the gall to start with. Well, I guess I always carried an American flag or, or followed one, and I'm gonna take you back to my town and the Horatio Alger story and small town America and Civil War. March. Of course, I guess we should start with my father. He was an Irishman. <laughs> 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 and then you have Walter Houston, uh, grandfather of Angelica Houston, father of John Houston. Wonderful, just another really likable character actor. Most famous as the old the old prospector in Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Um, also pretty famous for playing the devil, the titular devil, and the devil in Daniel Webster. And he can dance, and he's an Irishman, and his wife is giving birth to young George. Yep, and they have to decide. What to name him? What to name him? George Washington? Oh, that's not going to... That's a lot of letters to go on stage. How about George Michael? George Michael's a great stage name if you're from the 80s. And... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the little baby holds the American flag, the first yeah. thing that it ever wraps its fingers around. And we just have this... Like, all the dialogue in this movie is either about 
show business. It's filtered through show. Even the romantic dialogue later with his wife, it's like, that was a pretty good take. Let's try another before she kisses him yeah, kind of thing. Or yay raw America. It's nice to be back in the realm of movies where dialogue matters. Yeah. I always appreciate that. Yeah, one line that I noticed early on was uh, just no one was more expectant than my father, except for maybe my mother when she's yeah. when she's about to give birth. And then they say, "But, but Jerry, she'll you'll be late to the next performance." And he says, "My wife has never been late for a performance in her life, or something like that." Yeah, um, nice. But dialogue. these things take could take days. <laughs> <laughs> See, they were hinting at something instead of saying, "My wife is pregnant right. and having a baby." Yeah. Well, this is by the... They thought it would be cute to be clever and cute about it, and it was. Well, probably, if people hear us talking about this movie and it doesn't sound that interesting, what they have to understand is 99% of this movie is just the bits of dialogue and business, Yeah, the, the in-between stuff, which I always really appreciate. It's like, the plot is important, and they have the most generically well-structured plot that you could hope to have in a movie like this, but what's really important is just to make sure the little things the side characters and the little bits of dialogue and the yep well actually probably the best example of that is the next major section of the movie which is george is a 13 year old idiot that section goes on for a long time with all these different convoluted um i mean i don't know what what would you well you've got you know he's gonna perform as the kid who yeah peck's bad boy yeah, Peck's bad boy, and he's you know he's the baddest boy in town. He mm-hmm. could lick any boy, and then you know he's gonna get a big break. But no, he's gonna come out. No, no, he's not gonna need to be spanked up. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to be spanked because he's gonna walk outside and get his butt kicked by get the boys who are waiting boy. outside right. to prove that they're better than Peck's bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> then he's still gonna get a spanking because. He's going to tell off the producer. He's going to tell off the producer who's going to come and give them a show in Philly or New York or whichever it was at the time. Well, actually, the spanking is a really good example of what I'm talking about. It's not just the spanking. It's the dad goes in to you know, slap him across the face and she says, not on the face, George. He has to, Jerry, he has to sing. Well, first, well, yeah, first it's like, it's my job to do it. It's your job to give permission. I give permission. All right. And then, but not on the face. <laughs> oh, but not on the, what was Not, the not on the hand. He's got to play the violin. And then he grabs him and says, here's something that doesn't have any talent. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanking him. Which is a scene you probably wouldn't see today for any number of reasons. But uh, yeah, several scenes that you wouldn't see today for any number of reasons. Well, I think blackface before scene. that we get the blackface, which is kind of a bummer. Just like yeah. a random, hey, <laughs> it's blackface. <laughs> yeah. Or even like just random blackface actors that during any given, you know, performance that are just like milling about backstage or whatever. Yeah. Which is completely realistic by the way and i'm glad that they didn't shy away from it and a lot of people who weren't racists did it it was just a thing yeah i mean fred astaire is famously in one of the great blackface scenes of all time Mm -hmm. which was a big tribute scene to to a black performer performer. he really admired and had he'd keyed off of and taken from but now it's to use a modern word problematic um, and I'm not trying to argue that it's not problematic, by the way. I think the only thing I'm trying to argue is let's leave the movies alone. I think. Yeah, let's it, just not go back and edit them. They are what they are. They were what they were. It's interesting and it's telling. And what's especially interesting and telling is that you didn't have to be a psychopath to wear blackface. So it was just ubiquitous. And it was a really popular type of entertainment during when somebody like George Cohen would have been coming up, minstrel shows, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al Jolson was the most famous blackface performer. And he was arguably the most 
famous beloved entertainer of the early 20s. The first sound film that was ever made is called The Jazz Singer, came out in 1927, and it's about Al Jolson and stars Al Jolson. It's just a fact, and it doesn't do to pretend like it wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. Kind of what bugs me about Captain America, where nobody's smoking. I guess it's a kid's movie and nobody has to smoke, but it takes me out of the era that, that no one's smoking. So, yeah, um, George gets his spanking. It's very lighthearted. I was trying to think of the last time I'd actually seen a spanking in a movie, and I don't think, I can't think of anything. Just like, Probably some John Wayne movie. Yeah, John Wayne movies, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the less said about that, the better. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of different times. And then skimming through the movie here there's a lot of little bits of business and montage Mm -hmm. and stuff we're seeing george's whole life but the next major scene is when he meets his wife yeah and he's in old age makeup yep and that's probably the most famous scene from this movie he's so versatile he gets to be her mother's his mother's father Mm. and uh so he plays his mother's father on stage in a play and this beautiful girl comes backstage and you know wants to seek out his wise counsel because he's obviously been you know doing this sort of thing for a long time he's very talented and good old george leans into it and plays the old man but Mm -hmm. very slowly gets a little bit more spry and asks her to you know she wants to you know can she should she go to new york or not she knows she can sing and dance and and then he gets her to do a couple numbers for her, and then he jumps up and does a number of his own and blows her away and fakes, his, fakes a heart problem. And Before that, at a certain point, you have a showgirl peek her head in. <laughs> That's and say, right. George, when are going on a date tonight? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. Yeah, it's a really well-constructed, funny scene. And then he finally just, when he does burst out his dancing, I think that's the first time you really see Cagney just let loose. Yeah. And what did you think of? his dancing because it's pretty iconic and it's pretty it's pretty different yeah well different is what i thought and i liked it mm-hmm. maybe i just liked it for the differentness of it but i just enjoyed it i thought it was cool yeah it's so energetic and just weird apparently cohen really wanted a stare to be in the movie and a stare turned it down because the stare said i'm not your body type i'm not your style like mm-hmm. that's who cohen wanted cohen maybe wanted to grade a mythologize little bit. Yeah, a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> but i like have cagney doing this weird kind of i don't even know how you describe it just his legs just kind of seem disconnected and they go into these weird spastic yeah it's uh, neat yeah it's cool it's just like i wish i could do that and then he eventually peels off all the makeup and stuff like that yeah, there's a nice little button. This is what I'm talking about. This is what we're talking about when we say Cagney's just a fun performer. And I'm pretty sure this is something that Cagney added. He throws off the wig and sh- and the girl goes, eh, and then he stomps on the wig. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Be sure it's dead. Be something. sure it's dead. And so, you know, kind of says, there, you see. <laughs> uh, what do you think about his wife or whatever? the Mary? Mary, yeah. She's the quintessential awesome wife type. Yeah, she reminded me of Mary from Me too. Uh, from It's a Wonderful it's Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Like I was awing over her when she's like, "Oh, I knew when you came home with, with the flowers." Oh, yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, she's a good wife. She's sweet." Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Aww. <laughs> you felt bad for her, but you felt aw. Right. And that's definitely mythology cuz he had he it doesn't actually seem like he was a bad dude. Probably afraid I was gonna say is he had like nine wives and divorced them all and was a serial adulterer. And maybe he still was, I don't know. But he had 
two wives. I think the first one committed adultery on him, was very much a show business type wife. And then he married another woman and stayed with her. So they they simplified that and removed the bad wife from the equation and gave him mm-hmm. one wife and named her after one of his most famous songs, which I think is all... All garbage. All garbage. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's fun garbage. Yeah. It's sweet garbage. Yep. The section Jake's talking about, he writes the song for her and then he has to give it to the evil... He, he writes the song for her and... But then they've got to go pitch it to the... Yeah, to the evil starlet who's going to make the film or make the play shine and and his partner is the one that gives it away mm-hmm. and he's like resistant doesn't even want to play it for oh you gotta hear this song it's his best song just grabs it out of his hands the yeah. partner does and no it's not for her not no that you don't want it. it's nothing much real. no it's a but of course he poured his heart and soul into it into it because it's it's for mary and so of course the starlet wants to sing it mm-hmm. and thinks it's the most beautiful thing ever mm-hmm even though it's one of the ones that I can't really uh, hum off the top of my head. The name was Mary, 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 long before it was Marie. Yeah, there it is. All right. right. Sorry, you got it. But yeah. I, so he comes home to so, yeah. his wife with, you know, hat in hand, flowers, chocolates, trying to get up the nerve to tell her that they landed the big she's, star. She's, she's inside playing it on the piano oh, and yeah. singing it. <laughs> rubbing, <laughs> rubbing it in. He yeah. comes in, opens the door, hears it. <laughs> Closes the door quietly and raps really loud so that she'll stop. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then she does this whole, oh, I want you to have her, whatever it takes. And then he's like going to tell her and he finally does. And I gave away your song, dear. And she says, oh, I know. I knew that when I saw the flowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's pretty sweet. What is the difference between corniness in a movie like this that works and corniness that in a Callmark movie that makes you want to throw up? Why do I like this and not like the Christmas shoes? Um, is it just the skillfulness with which the corniness is? I think it's a, yeah, I think it's this, just the, you know, it's not sappy. It's not like it's trying to, it's not trying too hard. There's a lot of this movie that doesn't feel like it's trying too hard. It's sentimental, but it's not overly sentimental. And some of it's just like, even little things like, up oh, and now she's going to go and finish dinner, but there's going to be... Wasn't there like a thing like, oh no, something's going to burn. Like, Yeah, she goes out of the room. Yeah, I, you're right. Like you, you can imagine the bad version where she says, oh George, I know. Yeah. And then the and music then you linger on it and, and then you cut. He starts to cry or something. Yeah. But, and it just stays right there. But instead she's like, oh, dinner's going to burn. And she, <laughs> right. And it's in a wide shot. It's not a series of close-ups right. telling you how important this is. It's just, it's it's a nice moment, but they kind of throw it away which they actually do with a lot of, and by throw away, I just mean they don't they don't call undue attention to it. They just, here it is. Yep. Here's the moment. And the other thing is that Mary had her ups and downs and she was vulnerable, but she was in aspiring, but you know, she really, at the end of the day, she got what she wanted. Mm-hmm. What she wanted was George. Right. No big deal. And they didn't make a big deal out of it. It was, wasn't even like it was a big sacrifice for Mary. No. We didn't spend a lot of time Mary sacrificed a promising career. She got the song, I got the author, she says. Yeah. It's sweet. And you can't underestimate just the sweetness of Joan Leslie, who plays her. She, you know, much like Donna Reed in It's a Wonderful Life, she brings a lot to it just by being being, able to just having that quality. that, yeah. Yeah, that all-American kind of girl next door. Just, she evokes that really well. (laughs) I did think 
with that whole section with the evil star that they have to the evil starlet that's a real woman her name was faye, faye templeton she did help popularize the song mary somebody must have really had it in for her <laughs> like, like that would be like if i don't know what the analogy like if julie andrews died and then somebody made a movie where we had to pitch the song to julie andrews and she was like i don't understand george m cohen's music and i'm above all of this sort of thing that the plebeians would like or if you know betty white died or i I don't know julie andrews might be too iconic because that would be real that would be yeah that would be some real iconoclasm to say that julie andrews was anything but maria from sound of music yeah even though spoiler alert she wasn't maria (laughs) from sound of music true but i guess the other interesting thing about this movie is if you think about it being made in 42 and all this stuff happening in the 10s the 20s this movie was like the stranger things of its time it's nostalgic for a period that for them was just past and there's some scene where cagney runs into a performer from his era you know some famous comedian that everybody would have known the guy that's chomping on a cigar and looking at the poster and oh yeah they trade wisecracks about each other yep like i don't really know who that guy is but i know he's a guy and i know that the audience would have been like yeah and he's played up with the lisp and uh yeah, it's face that looks like Jim Carrey stole this guy's shtick. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the scene that's in a lot of biopics even to this day. It's like it's the one time that Johnny Cash met this guy who just happened to be named Elvis and yeah. we get some halfway famous actor come in to do a day as Elvis or mm-hmm. it's when Ed Wood met Orson Welles or you know, people love that kind of thing yeah and i'm not above it i like historical hindsight some some people think those scenes are corny in movies and so they are but i almost always fall for it when it's like oh yeah he just i mean it's the whole movie of forrest gump he just happened to be there when every important thing in the 20th century <laughs> happened and yep he inspired it all it all felt like an a coincidence and an inevitability at the same time and mm-hmm. yet it was his whole life it was his whole life so this movie does have a couple giant numbers from George Cohen plays as played by Cagney and thousands of extras. We don't have to talk through them all in details, but I think my favorite was, was it your grand old flag when we suddenly had a black fella singing glory, glory, hallelujah. And then we had Teddy Roosevelt marching and we had Lady (laughs) Liberty and then we had Abe Lincoln and somebody, (laughs) somebody saying the Gettysburg address under Lincoln's monument. And then we, should old acquaintance be forgot, keep your eye on the grand old flag. And then we have like hundreds of extras with American flags, yep. Lady Liberty, uh, Uncle Sam, <laughs> and good old George Cohen right in the center. It's amazing that it just does not, did not feel much to me. Right. <laughs> I don't know how it, you put it that way. <laughs> I mean, it's. They were like, how, how, what can we pack into this? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and this movie made a lot of money and. I guess the thing to remember is we were in the middle of a war against one Adolf Hitler at the time, and people wanted that much optimism, that much encouragement. You know, you'd never dream of making a movie like that now. Everybody would laugh it out of the theater, but it actually really probably made people cry and moved them. And, you know, they, 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 that's what people wanted to see back then. I don't know what else. This is not the most plot driven movie it's no it's a musical basically it's i mean we know the end before we right get there i mean it okay he's gonna get the congressional medal of honor but i guess there's two more 
pretty famous things we should talk about. There's the composition of Over There, which is done in the most biopic <laughs> style of all time, where it's like the most important <laughs> he, thing happens. He's going to go and enlist, and they're not going to let him, and he's going to say that phrase. Yep. Well, first we got that awesome scene, <laughs> which I'm sure totally really happened, where the guy's like, I'm sorry, Mr. Cohen, you're just too old to be able to enlist oh, right yeah. now. Can you guys do this? <laughs> and then he tap dances around the... <laughs> Jumps up on the desk. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then all the recruiters and everybody in the office claps for him. The guy says, I'm sorry, Mr. Cohen, but we have more need of you here in America. <laughs> Those boys over there. <laughs> yeah. He's like, over there. Over there. <laughs> Yes, I mean, yes. That's like, and then he's going to be walking the streets of Washington thinking, over there, yeah, over, over there. there. He's going to come along a parade. <laughs> and then he's going to start harmonizing a melody with... Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, movie, <maybe>, sure. <laughs> <laughs> with whatever it was they were playing, some Stars and Stripes song. I can't think of any scenes like this, but off the top of my and he's head. he's going to go and sit at a piano. Yeah, and he'll just and pound it out. It won't <laughs> take any work. It'll just be... Dun, 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 dun. Over there. (laughs) I I know I've seen these scenes before where where someone tells Ray Charles, like, you better hit the road, Jack. And he's like, the road, Jack. Hit the road, Jack. And then he sits down at a piano. the road, Jack. (laughs) I I saw neither Bohemian Rhapsody nor Rocket Man, but I I wouldn't be at all surprised if that cliche found its way into those movies. And I know it's uh, garbage every time I see it, but I also, and I... You know, you and I both create things for a living and we know that it's a lot of hard work and it never happens like that. Yeah. But I still really like that cliche. <laughs> I, I really enjoy the corny. Oh, yeah. You always want it to be the thing that does happen. Right. Like, I'm waiting for it to happen. I mean, maybe every once in a year, it does feel that way, I guess. Yeah, like, there will be something that somebody says that you think, oh. It just clicks for you. Yeah. I, I guess the lie that the movie tells you is, in real life, you've always done months of backbreaking work or weeks or days or you've spent a lot of time on it. And then one day yeah. it can just click for you. Yeah. And then it all comes together. But what doesn't happen is you go from zero to the greatest idea <laughs> of all time <laughs> that will change the course of the American <laughs> war. So he writes over there. He pretty much single handedly saves. I guess they weren't called the Allies in World War One, were they? But we have a montage of all the soldiers fighting and footage from the war, and we hear over there. Yeah, they're all going to sing over there. And I guess it was an important song, and the Navy apparently christened a ship after one of George M. Cohen's creations or something like that. Like, it was, it was important. Yeah. In the same way that maybe Bing Crosby's White Christmas was important to people mm-hmm. in the 40s, all the soldiers that wanted to remember home and remember what they were fighting for so you've got that scene and then you've got really the only other famous scene from the movie is something that Cagney improvised which is he leaves the president's office and he's going down the stairs as a shambling old man and then he dances his way down just suddenly starts tap dancing his way down the (laughs) stairs (laughs) Uh, gets out into the street and Joins up with the parade, just like his dad did at the start of the movie. And And what should everybody be singing? But Over there, and he can't, he's too emotional to Mm -hmm. sing along. And some some guy next to him says, what's the matter, buddy? You don't don't know this song? Why don't I hear you singing? (laughs) Everybody knows this song. (laughs) 
Come on, sing, speak up. <laughs> and then he's, you know, marching along with the army or whoever it is singing over there. Yep. It's great. And we fade to black and, or, and we or, all want to go kill some Nazis. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly what this movie was scientifically engineered to make us want to do and quite effectively. I don't know if there's that much more to say about this movie, but. I sort of gave up on talking through the plot because there really isn't a plot. Like yeah. the first half where he's sort of coming of his own is is fun, but then the movie really is just like the greatest hits from this guy's yep. life. Yeah. And there's a place part where he writes up, he gives into the critics and writes a writes quote a unquote play. important play that. Then he has this clever idea of how to be sure that it closes out strong mm. <laughs> by apologizing <laughs> for it to the public. But everyone's saying that my place stinks, and I'd like to say they're right. Mm. It does stink. It's terrible. <laughs> it's the worst play ever. And that's why it's only going to be running for three more nights. <laughs> 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 I apologize for this. Yep. <laughs> I don't know, Jake. Is there anything else to say about this movie? Have we successfully communicated to people who maybe haven't seen this movie what's fun about it? I mean, I think when we talk about it, it sounds like it's really corny. And it is, but it doesn't feel corny because it kind of just really pulls it off. I, you guys just have to believe us. It doesn't feel corny. I don't know. what It's not like a Gary Cooper is not going to go sit on the hillside and study the Constitution and hear voices and then come back and decide that he can go and kill all the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it, that's cheesy. No. Sergeant York is cheesy. I still like Sergeant York. Yeah, I like all those movies too. Or at least too. I think I do. It's been a long time since yeah, I've seen I'm, it, but I'm, but th- this is just not that. No, it has a really absurd, acerbic Jewish sense of humor to it. That's probably a lot really, of it. Uh, it's yeah. it's just it's got fast talking Cagney who has just brings tons of attitude and charm to it that you know Gary Cooper or John Wayne or whoever wouldn't. Yeah, and, well, he's cut in that. More in that mold of here I go making another dumb comparison, but of like a of hum- Humphrey Bogart mm-hmm. of just like he's a believer, but he's also a little outside of the material, but he's also a believer, right? You know, he's willing to go and huck his hucks, huck, yeah, hawk, hawk, yeah. You can't turn huckster into huck, hawk, yeah, 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 huckster's hawk things, mm, right? <laughs> Somebody should invent a tongue twister, huckster's yeah. hawk, huckster's hawk, horses. horses. Handily. Huxley's yeah. Hawk Courses Handily. It's actually a really it's, easy tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> Someone can do a better one with Huxley's Hawk. Listener, you do it. And uh, hashtag us, tongue twister. Hit, hit us on Instagram or something. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, he's you know he's going to go sell himself and sell what he's doing. And... and Jimmy Cagney, the actor, is doing that the whole time. And he's just, he's such a fun performer. You have to see him in something. And this is probably the thing that stands the best outside of its time. And... Uh, what uh, Roger Ebert compares to him, compares him to in his review, which would have been a more current reference as of the time, is Michael Jordan. He just says, this guy has so much energy and you can just feel him willing all the other actors to step it up and yeah. come to his level of It is worth seeing just to see a special performance. Yeah. I really think that that's true. I. And the sports analogy, I think it's a pretty good one. Like yeah. a, one of those athletes, I don't know, Jake, which which athlete you'd say it was, but one of those athletes that just 
is obviously outshining everybody and is pushing everybody and impatient with everybody actually yeah and that is what that is what jordan is known for is like i am the best and i will will all of you up to my level Mm -hmm. it's not i'm going to serve you right and make us all better that's bill russell bill russell is i'm gonna figure out how to get the best out of everybody by motivating you and knowing what Mm -hmm. but michael jordan is just sort of like I am so good, you'd better keep up with me. Don't you dare disappoint me or let me down. And Cagney has a little bit of that, like, you better, I'm going to act you under the table and yep. I'm going to steal this scene from you unless you figure out something. Yeah, to, some way to earn your place next to me right. in this scene. And it doesn't come off as arrogant or anything like that. It just comes off as an aggressively potent talent. I don't know how else to put it. So I saw this uh, in nine, because I did look him up on, Wikipedia in 99 when the AFI ranked these they ranked him the eighth among its list of greatest male stars Orson Welles famously called Cagney quote the greatest actor who ever appeared in front of a camera in quote <laughs> that's Orson Welles talking so he might be one of my favorites I mean he's just he is intensely fun and interesting to watch and funny and cool and modern for lack of a better word like his his shtick translates to now in a way that, you know, it's rat-a-tat, it's old-timey, but it yeah it doesn't feel antiquated. It doesn't feel like... He was a vaudeville dancer and comedian. Yeah. Well, that makes so much sense. And, yep, that's how you got to start. If you like this movie, then I might recommend White Heat, as I said, The Roaring Twenties, Angels with Dirty Faces. These are all some of his great gangster performances. Public Enemy is his most famous. It's also... The... Angels with Dirty Faces, Angels with Filthy Souls is the name of the of the home uh, alone of the home stuff. alone thing yeah, yeah. there yeah. you go these are all really fun movies and mostly they're okay gangster programmers that are just brought to electrifying life by the fact that he's in them a little bit like uh oh i don't know we're gonna make a generic orlando bloom pirate movie and then johnny depp's gonna come in and do something that turn it into something at least at the time special felt, and then then we're gonna yeah imagine if a performer did that kind of thing and then they didn't run into the ground. Although I guess Cagney started resenting those gangster roles. So maybe he felt like they were running it into the ground too. <sighs> Sunrise, sunset, circle of life, etc., etc. But mm-hmm. he's a really special performer. And if you haven't seen him, you owe, you owe it to yourself. And if you're not interested in gangsters, then... This is uh, just a good one to see. Yeah, it's a lot of fun and it will make you want to stand up and salute America. Yeah. Yeehaw. Thanks for listening to Sandy at the Movies. We'll be back next time with Cinderella. Looking forward to that. This podcast has been produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me. Until next time. My mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you. 